Thank you, Phil, very much for reading that for us. Please do keep your Bibles open at Mark 5 there on page 1006. Um, we're continuing our short series now in, uh, in Mark's Gospel, From Fear to Faith. And uh, this is an odd thing to ask us on a lovely, uh, sunny Sunday morning, but how do you feel about scary stories? Scary stories, scary films, that kind of thing. Uh, in fact, just a minute now, turn to someone nearby. How do you feel? about scary stories. Okay, I'll, uh, I'll cut back in there. Slightly odd thing to be talking about, uh, as I say, on a nice Sunday morning. Uh, but the reason I go there is because coming to this story in Mark 5, it's a bit like stepping into a horror film. Uh, Jesus and his disciples, they cross the Sea of Galilee. On the way, they encounter a, a big scary storm which amazingly Jesus calms with a word. But what they meet on the other side of the lake might be even scarier, because they meet this man who is full of terrifying evil. Verse two, when Jesus got out of the boat, a man with an impure spirit came from the tombs to meet him. Now, before this point, we've already seen Jesus face off against evil spirits. Uh, you'll remember that from earlier in Mark's Gospel, if you were here last term. But this is different. Those encounters, they were over within a verse or two. But here, Mark really takes his time painting a picture of this terrifying evil as Jesus comes face to face with this man. And as we meet him, here are three things uh, that we see. First, we see the reality of evil. Uh, scary films, there are lots of things made up in those that we don't need to be afraid of. Uh, maybe you can remember uh, being younger and uh, your parents comforting you after you'd had a nightmare. Don't worry, it's not real. And it's tempting to put this story with that. Demons, evil spirits, it's not real, they're made up. Uh, they're just metaphors, symbolic. Uh, it's how ancient people misunderstood mental and physical disorders before we developed a medical understanding of those things. Um, and I should say one reason it's tempting to think that way is because some cases of mental and physical illness certainly have been uh, wrongly labeled uh, as demonic, people jumping to the conclusion uh, well, there must be something, something evil going on here. That still happens today, and it's really damaging. We must be careful not to do that. Struggles with mental and physical health are not necessarily connected to spiritual evil in someone's life. But the Bible tells us there is such a thing as real supernatural evil, that there's more to our world than meets the eye, a supernatural realm with personal spiritual beings who are good and personal spiritual beings who are evil. Uh, and there's loads the Bible doesn't tell us, and we don't know. Uh, even this passage raises questions that I just don't have the answer to. But looking at this man, spiritual evil is terribly real. That's a good reminder for me, I think. Uh, the way Christians traditionally think of evil uh, as coming from the world out there, the flesh in here, and the devil, 
Well, I'm used to thinking about the first two of those, uh, the world and the flesh, but I basically never think or speak about the devil. Uh, and this is a reminder to me that he's more than a cartoon villain, uh, that he is real. And that's not all. In this man, we see the strength of evil. Take a look down at verse 4. Just glance at that. Give it a read. Isn't that mad? Picture this. Picture a group of local people venturing into the tombs by torchlight, following this man's cries. They're planning to take him by surprise and wrap chains around him till he's restrained, more chains than they've ever used before. And they seem to succeed. But their faces fall as once again he summons impossible strength and the chains begin to buckle and snap like twigs. What can we do? The point is, the evil infesting this man is so strong, human restraints are useless against it. It can't be restrained by human means. Which points to the Bible's teaching that we cannot fix evil. That whatever strategies we come up with to fix the evil out there, or the evil in here, will not work. Because a supernatural problem needs a supernatural answer. And finally, in this man, we see the destructiveness of evil. Uh, Pathfinders, let's say you have a choice to make. Uh, You have an evening, and you have to choose between uh, spending the night in revising or heading out to a party with your mates. Well, ask yourself, which choice do you think God would tell you to make, and which choice do you think the devil would tell you to make? And ask that because I think it's easy to assume God's a killjoy who'd order me to stay in and work. And really, the devil, he's the fun one who'd tell me, go, enjoy the party. And this passage says, no. The devil loathes human beings and would love to make our lives as miserable as he could. See what he's done to this man. Three times, Mark tells us, he lives among the tombs. His life's a living death. It's like he's been banished from humanity. See, he's away from people. He's away from family and friends and parties. Verse 5, it's hard to read, isn't it? Those are his days and nights. He's tormented. And verse 9, when Jesus asks, what's your name, who are you? Aren't his words unsettling? My name is Legion, for we are many. Like he's become indistinguishable from the evil inside him. His identity swallowed up, his humanity erased. That's what evil does. And that's what the devil would bring us to, if he could. Someone said that these are faint pictures of the miseries of hell. Now, you and I are not this man, but left to ourselves, this is the evil we'd be prey to, evil that's real and strong and out to destroy us which all makes this story such good news. We're going to go through the story, and I think there are three ways that it's meant to impact us. Here's the first. See Jesus as mighty and merciful 
to save people from terrifying evil. There's a little puzzle here at the start. Why does, G why does Legion run to Jesus? Uh, see that in verse six. It's not Jesus who moves towards Legion like we might expect. It's Legion who moves, runs to Jesus. Why? Well, different possibilities. Maybe the evil spirits, they wanted to evict this newcomer from their turf and they got more than they bargained for. Because when they meet Jesus, verse seven, it's clear who's top dog, isn't it? These demons who've been used to throwing their weight around, making this man's life a misery, they fall on their knees, begging Jesus, please don't torture us. It's a bit like a school bully who's been pushing someone around who's smaller than them uh, and thinks they're all that until Dwayne The Rock Johnson turns up at their school on his anti-bullying campaign and picks them up with one hand. That would change their tune, wouldn't it? Well, that's the idea here. This terrifying evil is terrified of Jesus, quaking in their boots. We might wonder, are these demons real? Well, Jesus is terrifyingly real to them. Because when, when they meet him, they know they've met their undoing. One who is infinitely stronger than them. Jesus, son of the most high God. There's no contest. And so this weird stuff with the pigs, it is weird, isn't it? I don't think that Jesus is having to negotiate with the demons so they're happy to leave on their terms. No, he could throw them out with a word but he wants to show his might over them. Because the whole drama shows there was loads of them, thousands, and Jesus could swat them away like flies. And there are questions he could ask about the pigs, uh, but here's my theory. Uh, I might be wrong, but, but here's what I think is going on. Uh, verse 10, the demons really don't want to be sent away, which seems odd. But Luke's account of the same incident helps us, I think. Uh, here's a verse from it on the screens. Because according to Luke, Jesus would be sending them into the abyss, uh, the place where they would await judgment, where obviously they don't want to go. So verse 12, they beg Jesus, Jesus, let us go into these pigs instead. And verse 13, it looks like their plan works. Jesus gives them permission. They go into pigs. They avoid the abyss. Except that what happens next is the pigs drown themselves in the lake, meaning the demons have lost their new home, and I think leaving them with nowhere to go but into the abyss, after all, to face judgment. Uh, which is all to say, Jesus wins. Evil's apparent success is really its defeat. He will only let evil have its way to the extent that it ends up destroying itself. Ultimately, it's a picture of the cross. Jesus' victory in what looked like the devil's finest hour was really his downfall in the plan of Jesus. See, the supernatural conflict between good and evil, God and the devil, it's not an evenly matched fight between two forces equal and opposites. No, Jesus is infinitely stronger. 
and terrifying evil against which, against which human chains can do nothing, Jesus is able to deal with. But don't miss, as well as being mighty against evil, Jesus is merciful to the man. Right from his first words. Uh, you know, this guy was in such a wretched state that if we'd seen him, we might have wondered, why bother? He's a lost cause. Look at him. Uh, what's the point of wasting time on this? I wonder how the locals saw him prowling around, howling. Maybe they saw him like an animal. And then verse 8, how does Jesus see him? Come out of this man. Jesus sees a human being. Yes, ruined. But a person made in God's image. And instead of throwing this ruined man on the rubbish heap, Jesus draws the evil out of him and restores him. Here's a picture of a ruined Mercury cruiser in 2018. After being vandalized uh, and left outside to be battered by the elements, it was in an absolute state. Why bother with a heap of junk like that? Just get rid. But Tom Maruska bought it and painstakingly, over years, I think, restored it to be good as new. Well, Jesus does that with people. This man who was falling apart, here he is after Jesus was through with him, verse 15, sitting there, dressed, and in his right mind. Isn't that lovely? He'd be totally unrecognizable, and yet finally himself. That's what Jesus does with broken people, restores our humanity. See, Jesus has come as a mighty, merciful Savior to defeat evil and save ruined people. That's who he is. And if you belong to him this morning, then let this story comfort you. Yes, there's terrifying evil that's real and strong and ought to get us. But don't be afraid. Jesus is this mighty, merciful Savior. Trust him. You're safe. He will be mighty against evil, and he'll be merciful to you as he restores you to be more and more human till we reach glory. He was willing to cross a lake and brave a storm, all to save this one guy. And don't miss that, by the way. Five minutes later, Jesus is back in the boat. Uh, he was willing to do this whole trip just to save this one guy. Isn't that amazing? And he was willing to brave the cross and rise from the dead to save you. So don't be afraid. Trust him. See Jesus as your mighty, merciful Savior. That's who he is. Which does sadly bring us to this next thing. Uh, feel the tragedy of people fearfully rejecting Jesus. Back to the story, and it's all going so well. Uh, Jesus frees this man, and wonderfully, there are witnesses. Uh, uh, the witnesses who see the whole thing, who go and tell the local people, who are intrigued enough to make the journey to find out more, who come and who meet Jesus himself, and sitting by Jesus, look, it's that man who is riddled by evil, now restored. What on earth? 
Well, it's also ideal, isn't it? Surely, surely they respond by rejoicing at this amazing deliverance and putting their faith in the one who's brought it about. The Savior has come. But that's not what happened. Verse 15, when they came to Jesus, they saw the man who had been possessed by the legion of demons sitting there, dressed, and in his right mind. And they were afraid. Those who had seen it told the people what had happened to the demon-possessed man, told them about the pigs as well. Then the people began to plead with Jesus to leave their region. So tragic, isn't it? That the one who's come to save them, they say to him, Jesus, please, we want you to leave. So tragic. And it makes you wonder, why on earth would they reject Jesus like this? Well, I think what Mark points us to is behind their rejection of Jesus is a wrong fear of him. They're thinking, here's someone with crazy levels of supernatural power. He's strong enough to beat these demons that we can do anything against. But we're not sure he's good. All we know is those demons were top of the food chain. Now there's a new top predator. 2,000 pigs are dead. Farmer Fred's livelihood is at the bottom of the lake. Uh, what's this Jesus guy going to do now? We don't know. Is he going to keep disrupting things? Is he going to take away more stuff our lives depend on? Power without goodness is a very scary thing. They've grasped Jesus' might, but not his mercy. So they reject him. And in doing so, they reject the one who's come to defeat evil and save them. Isn't it tragic? It's tragic today. Because in a sense, we do this every time we sin. Every time we reject Jesus as if his influence on our lives won't be good. And we choose something that would destroy us instead. Isn't that mad? But we all do it. And it's tragic when people around us reject Jesus because they fear it wouldn't be good to follow him. Surely being a Christian would make my life miserable. Surely I'd be opening myself up to all kinds of harm. And out of fear, they reject the one who's come to save them. Feel the sadness of that. How does Jesus respond? Well, soberingly, he leaves. Verse 18, gets back in the boat. But he also leaves something behind. It's building to this. Final thing, be ready to tell fearful people of Jesus' mercy to us. Uh, maybe you noticed, uh, three times in this story, people beg with Jesus. Uh, the demons beg Jesus uh, not to send them away. And he says, yes. The people beg Jesus to leave them. And he says, yes. And here, verse 18, the man begs Jesus, Jesus, let me go with you. Wouldn't you? I mean, put yourself in the man's shoes. Jesus is the best thing that's ever happened to you. He's given you a whole new life. He's everything to you. You long to be with him. What could possibly be wrong with that? 
wanting to be with Jesus. That's a wonderful thing to want. And yet, Jesus says to his begging, no, no, you can't come with me because you have a job to do, verse 19. Go home to your own people and tell them how much the Lord has done for you and how he has had mercy on you. See, here's Jesus' strategy to reach fearful people who reject him. He shows us mercy, and of course we want to be with him. He's the best. But he says to us, no. Now that you've received mercy, you have a job to do, to go and tell others of the mercy you've received, that they might come to me and receive mercy as well, so they might move from fear to faith. And end of the story, that's what this man did. You can imagine meeting him and him saying something like, you might be skeptical about this Jesus guy, but he's been absolutely wonderful to me. I know people misuse their power in all sorts of ways, but he's only ever used his power for my good. My life would be a misery without him, but he's been so good to me. He's the best. Every Christian can say something like that. So let's say it. Jesus is mighty and merciful to save people from terrifying evil. It's a tragedy when people reject him out of fear. Well, Jesus' strategy to reach fearful people is to show us mercy and then have us tell others of the mercy we've received of his goodness to us, so they too might move from fear to faith. Well, we'll have some quiet now to think and pray about what God's been saying to us. Why not pray that this week uh, God helps you to say something of the mercy Jesus has showed you and uses your words to help someone move a little closer to trusting in Jesus, to seeing his goodness. And then I'll lead us in a prayer.